I signed like $60 million in leases with like, let's say less than $60 million in my bank account. And I had to find a partner to help me fulfill those leases. And that's where the Redstone family helped me. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, deputy editor of Box Office Pro, a trade publication exclusively focused on the movie theater business. I'm joined today by Daniel Luria, editorial director of Box Office Pro. Hi, Daniel. Uh, a lot of news to go over this week. Oh, yeah. I took Friday off and it was an interesting uh, Monday to come back to. I guess first thing first, uh, Rebecca, when can I see this James Bond movie? You definitely cannot see it in November. It has been delayed by MGMUA to April 2nd, 2021. It was going to be one of four kind of major Hollywood releases coming out in November. And, and one that movie theaters were really looking forward to as something that would uh, that would bring them some much needed dough. But alas, uh, it has been pushed. As a result of that, it, it actually got pushed to what was the same release day for F9 the latest film in the Fast and Furious franchise. Both those films internationally are, are distributed by Universal. Universal, of course, isn't going to compete with itself in international markets. So that film was rescheduled to May 28, 2021. I think as, as this news broke on, on Friday afternoon, we kind of expected the traditional tidal wave of other movie theater release changes. We didn't see that, but we saw some some big news in, in another capacity hitting over the weekend. Daniel, what's going on with Cineworld and Regal here? Well, as of October 8th, 2020, nothing much will be going on at all of the Regal locations in the U.S. and all of the Cineworld locations in the United Kingdom. The leadership over at Cineworld, the corporate parent of uh, Regal Cinemas and the second largest exhibition circuit in the world, just announced that all of its U.S. and U.K. locations are going to temporarily suspend operations beginning on October 8th. That means 536 Regal Cinemas in the United States and 127 Cineworld sites in the U.K. are going to go dark for an indeterminate amount of time once again. This decision affects 45,000 employees, the overwhelming majority of them in that United States circuit. Rebecca, this is uh, obviously major news. Uh, we were always a bit nervous about what would happen with a second closing phase in the industry. It's happened, and it's happened from a decision made by a circuit itself. Could you tell us a little bit what some of the reasons were for that decision. No Time to Die, certainly uh, changing its release date is a reason, not the reason. It kind of seems like that's one of the things potentially that really kicked it off. The fact that they don't have this potential major moneymaker to look forward to. And, and just the fact that, you know, it's not about one film. It's about if I'm going to reopen my theaters, if I'm going to commit to spending the money to run these theaters as I have, you want to know there's not just going to be one film to look forward to. There's going to be a bunch of films to look forward to with release dates that you think probably won't change over the next couple months. And the situation with Cineworld and Regal, you know, it just turned into, it, there's too much uncertainty with release date schedule. We're going to close down, you know, reclose and, and kind of cool our heels until we'll know that we're going to have films to play consistently. Uh, part of that, of course, um, as Mookie Greidinger cited, you know, it's an issue with New York. 
We have no timeline on when movie theaters will be allowed to reopen. Obviously, you know, it's in the United States, it's an incredibly key market. And we're seeing studios not knowing when New York is going to reopen. So they're being kind of gun shy and skittish on, on scheduling films. And as a result, the exhibitors are put in a really tough spot. You know, given this, this is Cineworld Regal. This is, you know, the second biggest exhibitor in the United States. Obviously, there are a lot of other players in, in this sphere. Daniel, what kind of ripple effects could, could we expect to see here, both in terms of film releases and, and the schedule and other exhibitors possibly making a similar decision? So we're recording this on Monday, October 5th. And by the time you listen to this, it will most likely be out of date. This is a, a developing story. When Daniel said this just happened, this just happened. There, there have been rumors <laughs> circulating all weekend. Um, you know, at Box Office Pro, we don't want to report anything before it's confirmed because there's a lot of uh, a lot of speculation going around, but just did get confirmed. So there's there's a lot of ramifications to this and a lot we don't know. What we do know is that there will obviously be ripple effects stemming from this decision. It's just a matter of what comes into play and what doesn't. Without committing to anything, really, because we're learning things day by day, I think we could potentially see maybe more date shifts from uh, major studio titles uh, with the second largest exhibitor no longer in play in two of its most important markets. We might also see other chains around the world take uh, a similar decision in announcing a temporary closure. I think as you cited, Rebecca, it's really, really hard to stay in business without just variety of different uh, titles for a span of what is it? It's going to be eight, 10 weeks uh, between Tenet. There was the expectation that Tenet would hit and then a lot of other major studio releases would follow in short order after that. And, and Tenet kind of got <laughs> left out there on its own a little bit. And it's dancing by itself at every multiplex around the world, which isn't the problem if you're a big Christopher Nolan fan. Isn't the problem if you like these type of movies. But if the only movie that audiences can see around the world from a major studio, the only big movie out there, is basically a bunch of dudes running around shooting guns at each other. I think it's going to be really hard getting all of the audience segments back in. Even if you do like Christopher Nolan movies, regardless of, of what Tenet is or the content, it's people aren't going to go keep seeing Tenet five, six, seven times. <laughs> there is a segment of people. That, you know, you put Tenet out and then other films will follow and they didn't. Or at least the degree we hoped. And I can tell you from personal experience, Rebecca, I this weekend was the first time I was able to get back to the movies since the COVID closures happened. So we're driving back. Uh, we stopped by at Fort Lee, New Jersey, the birthplace of the U.S. film industry. Had a great time thanks to the fantastic folks over at the IPIC Theaters Hudson Lights location in Fort Lee. Wonderful experience. But the film itself, you know what? My wife didn't really enjoy it. And it's not like we can go back anytime soon to see something that she particularly wants to see. As you mentioned, and as we've mentioned several times in the podcast, I think Russ made a really good point several weeks back. It's not going to be down to one title. You really no. need a stream of diverse titles to get all different audiences in there. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a, a long, long wait. We're seeing the impact of that already uh, with the second largest exhibition circuit in the world closing its doors. And that's not it, because there's been an additional announcement from another leading player in the UK in terms of closures. 
Yes, uh, Odeon, owned by AMC, announced over the weekend to their subscription members that, as has been confirmed by us, about 25% of their cinemas in the UK are going back to a weekend-only model. So they're only going to be open Friday, Saturday, Sunday. As is the case with the Regal Center World announcement, there's no indication on how long they expect that to last. Uh, Certainly, it's really heavily tied in with the release date calendar and and if it starts to stick or if it keeps moving around. But uh, yeah, I mean, that potentially could be a measure that we see uh, other exhibitors taking. If you don't have films to play that will sustain you for a seven-day week, you know, you have to look at cost-cutting measures. So yeah, it's a crazy tumultuous week here with the U.S. and the U.K. markets. Certainly, it's something that uh, we're going to continue covering as as the situation evolves. Please do go to boxofficepro.com for up-to-date information and analysis on that. That said, you know, this is a global industry, which is, personally speaking, one of my favorite parts about it. And we really love here at Box Office Pro and the Box Office Podcast to be able to speak to exhibitors from other key markets, which is what we're doing for our main segment today. We are speaking with Paul Heth, CEO of Cairo Group, and Olga Zinyakova, president of the Cairo Cinema Chain, uh, one of the top exhibition chains in Russia. Russia is a really interesting market in the sense that it's you know, obviously been so deeply tied into the history of film production and the history of what film is. Russia has been integral to the evolution of film as an art form as we know it. The exhibition landscape in Russia is still relatively new, obviously, with the country's transition uh, to Soviet leadership and, and back. Just in the last couple of years, though, Daniel, we've seen Russia emerge really as quite a powerful growth market in, in European cinema. Yeah, and it's it's been fascinating to look at. And it really is, as you mentioned, Rebecca, something that's happened over the, what, the last 25 years in this sort of transition to capitalism with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and this great movie-going tradition that the Russian market has always had sort of adapt itself to a global commercial exhibition landscape. And uh, obviously, the, the guests we have here today have a great experience in this industry Paul and Olga, thanks for joining us. And Paul, I wanted to start the conversation with your start in Russia. Coming in as an outsider, coming in in the mid-90s to a very different sort of uh, post-Soviet scenario, you're entering the market as an entrepreneur with a new concept, which is basically modern movie theaters. Can you walk us through that experience? You know, I opened uh, my first screen in Russia in 1993 in the lobby of a Radisson Hotel. And then uh, we opened in a second hotel and we were selling out, like literally I would get scripts, US product, and then we'd have one voice translated over headphones for all the people in the audience. And that'd be terrible, particularly if there was a, like a love scene to have I'd have an uh, interpreter, a young college student, read both parts. No. <laughs> but yeah, because <laughs> yes. that's all we could afford. Descriptive audio. That's wonderful. That's great. <laughs> we translated over headphones and because, you know, we couldn't, back then we didn't have uh, subtitling all that. But move forward, then we opened Kodak Kino Mir, which I still think one of the great stories in our industry. We got Disney to give us our first picture. The first day we opened, which is right in Pushkin Square uh, in the middle of Moscow, we had lines over a kilometer and a half to get in. We started the day at $3 tickets, and we ended the day at $8 tickets. And people 
for a year were um, scalping tickets out front for $100. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. What, what yeah. year was that? Because obviously… The, 1996. Modern... 1996. Well, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, a big, you know, well into that transition, yeah. I think, for the Russian yeah. economy. That's right. And that theater alone did $15 million revenue with 650 seats. And so we started that. And then I was trying to break out. So that kind of proved the modern kind of cinema style. And I partnered on that with Kodak. And great story. And, you know, I literally get that Kodak believed in me to give this young entrepreneur, you know, $2 million to invest in the theater. I returned the capital in 16 weeks returned their investment and they were shocked. You know, they didn't know what to do. But then we, then when I was saying, I have an idea that we want to do the megaplex, I, I had an idea that I wanted to do these large, large uh, locations with, you know, 10 to 16 screens. And everyone thought I was crazy, this, that, this, that. And at that time we were doing three quarters of the box office of the, of the Russian market, just at one, that one screen. And I was calling all the studios and the market was starting to open and fortunately, the Redstone family, you know, Miss, Miss Redstone, Sherry Redstone believed in me. We started Kinostar in 2002, and we opened the first kind of megaplex. There had been a couple of small multiplexes in Moscow open, but we opened with IKEA a number of these huge properties of like 11 to 16 screens. And to give you an example, we also started with um, IMAX back then. We had three IMAX locations. This is going like 2003 to five. On some films, we'd have the three top grossing We'd be one, two, and three globally on an IMAX picture at three out of four theaters. And globally, wow. we were growing that business. And um, I'd say that's when kind of we started seeing the market went from like 60 million to 100 million to 300 million. And so 2011, the market got to, I think Olga might know better, but over 500 million. We sold that business to a local group. Then I, I with partners, bought my former competitor, Carol, and we've been working that since 2013 through now. And I'd say that. Out of the last 21 years, I think we've, again, I don't have my papers in front of me, but we've seen the market grow year on year in ruble basis, 20 out of 21 years. There was one year, oh, I think it was 17 or 18 that we actually had a dip in emissions. But generally, we've seen the market for us average since we bought it growing about 4% a year in emissions and box office for us. I'm curious, did you say you worked with Ikea? When we opened in 96... Ikea started building their big furniture stores and they opened one in the two of them in the suburbs of Russia. And I actually went to Stockholm, rubbed together what nickels I had, got a ticket, went to Stockholm, met the Ikea guys and said, hey, let me put a multiplex on these properties. And they said, oh, I don't know. What do you think? This and that. And then moving forward about five or six years, they developed actually what they call mega mall, a mega mall concept that they, it's owned by Ikea. That's so they start with the footprint of the store, then they built these tremendous malls around the stores, and then they invited me. So this is a great story. I signed like $60 million in leases with like, let's say, less than $60 million in my bank account, and I had to find a partner to help me fulfill those leases, and that's where the Redstone family helped me. And so we, we developed four locations with them. We sold that business in 2011, but now Olga and I have negotiated a tremendous so they have 16 malls in Russia. They have four cinemas with a competitor. Olga and I have now st- signed to develop with them a number of locations. We actually start building the end of this coming year. The end of t- 2021, we start building with them again. And these are malls are unbelievably successful, as you can imagine, with the mindset of IKEA, how they approach uh, their patrons and consumers. It's so interesting, the, the history of IKEA in a market like Russia. Obviously, you have housing stock 
from the Soviet yep. era that is identical. Uh, yep. <laughs> so it's very simple for a large retailer to come in and sort of, uh, as you have this transition to capitalism, really come in with concepts that, that work. So I think it's fascinating how the modern multiplex history in Russia sort of comes in right at that juncture, ironically yep. enough, with a player like Ikea. That's exactly correct. I'm looking at the Ikea chair I have in my corner, and I know you have, didn't have those chairs, but I'm like picturing how would it be to watch a movie <laughs> yeah. in my same Ikea chair that everyone has. Some of their highest grossing stores in the world for Ikea are in Russia. But the, these malls are anywhere from 15 to 45 million emissions per year for these malls. So these are quite sophisticated malls with ice skating, numerous anchors, and so on. So we're very excited. To, that's a 25-year relationship, and we, we're back with them on a large scale and that Olga's kind of dealing with day-to-day. But we were very careful on, on picking landlord partners that have a vision for how their experience will change. And obviously, entertainment is now interrelated with kind of the experience of going to these locations because of online, people have been able to transact at home. We kind of feel now that the mall is more of like, I'll show you what we have, how you buy it. It's up to you whether you buy it here at the premise or buy it home for retailers. But for cinema, obviously we provide an important, an important entertainment option while they're there. And I think entertainment's even more important for these kind of communal locations going forward. It's fascinating to see that growth over the last decade that Paul has talked about. Uh, however, obviously today with the COVID-19 pandemic, the situation is a lot different for Russia and every other market in the world. Over the last couple of weeks, since the Russian market has opened back up, you've seen some new releases, both Hollywood imports like Tenon and Mulan, and then some local product as well. From a box office perspective, how has the Russian market fared since it's been allowed to open back up after the COVID shutdown? Well, the good thing is that September 2020, we did the same numbers as we did a year ago even without a few movies, which were pretend to be kind of like big movies, like a blockbuster. But still, the numbers are quite good, which makes us quite optimistic about our future. And uh, currently, all Kara cinemas in 10 regions are open. Cinemas are open in 75 regions of Russia out of 85. So in total, it's something like 80% of cinemas and cinema halls have reopened since the lockdown. Even uh, well, we were lucky with the Mulan because it was shown in cinemas. It did really good, and Tenet was uh, the most expected movie here in Russia. So it already did something like eight hundred millions. It will do eight hundred millions in rubles. In dollars, it will be something like ten millions, which is absolutely great result. It's absolutely blockbuster. That brings us the number in September. We were so happy to see Russian movies. The movie that have opened uh, the blockbuster season <laughs> was a big Russian one, but it, unfortunately, it was not that successful. So we had some concerns about the family movies, but Mulan showed us that it's more about the movie itself than about like some restrictions or some concerns that guests could have. And um, a week ago, we have uh, we have started three soft movie, which is about like very famous uh, Russian football uh, like so- soccer player, and did it really good. There was a lot of advertising around that movie, and actually it looks like it will be the the last one, the big one, for the next five weeks. So it definitely will double its box office results. 
That's interesting to hear that the market is, is where it's at over in Russia, because if I'm not mistaken, the closures in your market, they began a little bit later than the closures elsewhere in the world. If I'm not mistaken, that must have been around the final week or the end of March. And when did you guys start reopening? When did that Russian market finally start sort of uh, easing back into things? And what were the capacity restrictions when that reopening first began? It's true, we have closed our cinemas in the end of March. We had like a few weeks in advance just to understand how other markets are doing it and what can be done actually, not during the business. We have uh, restarted the opening in the beginning of August. In the end of August, actually all of our cinemas were already open. Uh, during last month, uh, there were some restrictions. They didn't change actually. Uh, significantly. So we still have no more than 50% whole occupancy in uh, in Moscow. We have some social distancing. In some regions, we don't have this occupancy restriction, but social distancing, wearing masks, and of course, a lot of requirements to us as to business who operates, like some restrictions for the food, for cleaning and so on. We have a lot of them. The good thing for us was that we really had a few weeks or or months just to prepare the opening, a really kind of an online platform uh, where we put all the requirements and we also put all the cinemas uh, and cinema chains uh, who follow these requirements in Russia. So any person who has any like concerns about safety protocol and cinemas can go there and find out whether the cinema is 100% following the the safety protocol. It's a really unified countrywide effort among the exhibitors in Russia, it sounds like, to get the safety message across and to, of course, implement safety measures and be safe. Yeah. And I, I would say a couple of comments to add on to what Olga was saying is that Russia's kind of in our industries is a not so best kept secret, so to speak. It's like, you know, Russia's the number one market in Europe now for admissions. Box offices last year in 2019 was nearly, you know, well over 800. Olga was 850 million, 875 million. Yeah. And remember, we've had a very volatile currency. So the ruble, unfortunately, for macroeconomic reasons within Russia to the dollar has been trading very high. So these are with currency adjustments. So, I mean, you know, we have well over 210 million emissions. What's interesting is the like-for-like like period in the beginning of 20 versus 19, before we had to close, as Olga mentioned, for COVID, uh, Caro, as, as an example, was outpacing what was for us a record-breaking 19. And what's interesting, you know, Caro, we've always we've focused it on having what we call like Tiffany-class assets, meaning that since 2013, we have focused on really, really high level of a standard for our consumer, for our patrons, the type of uh, developments that we go into, that, you know, what we build out, we've brought pioneered, you know, of course, recliners, but we've also, you know, we're the leading player in the market for large format with our Lux brand. We do have a couple of IKEA, uh, IMAXs and we developed a upper end brand called Carol Black, for, which is for our, you know, premium consumer. But we've also developed a number of products and campaigns for all levels of our consumers' economic ability, so to speak. So we have an experience, a top, top experience, we, we like to say, for all of our customers, the very best. And we were on pace this first part of 20 to outpace uh, 2019. 
and we're pleasantly surprised because when Olga and I looked at reopening, we said, look, people are going to be nervous. Let, let's be very, very cautious to our expectations. And, you know, we, we kind of forecast like that August would be like about 25% of the emissions we had August 19 because we understood with seating restrictions, lesser product. But we forecast like 40% or 50% for September. And we've outperformed that to we were like 100% same unit to last year, September 19 versus September 20. And that's extraordinary when you consider that we had the seating capacity restrictions. So our programming team under Olga's leadership, we had to be very clever in how to program films, what we call in depth. So if we had three halls for like a, a tenant, how could we move it to six halls, but offer that kind of showtime where everyone felt special, but we, we kept the social distancing. So uh, in terms of getting a seat, because, uh, you know, the w- one thing about our business is people love to go to sellouts, right? Like people love to go to thriving property. You know, people love the excitement of a... You want that last ticket. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, like it's interesting. Uh, people like to go to a busy theater, e- even if there might be equivalent theater for, for whatever reason. We always have that feeling of the music, the lighting, all that. But how do you keep that to be safe, social distance, and people feel looked after? So it's been a challenge. And one thing to give you for you to consider in Moscow, which I think is, Olga, is Moscow about 40% of the Russian box office? Would you say 35, 40%? Currently even bigger, but yeah, yeah for the COVID. Yeah. So we, this is extraordinary. So we have like 10 of the top 20 theaters in Russia, but we have five of the top, and also Moscow, but we have five of the top 10, including three of the top four, including one and two. And that's with 30 units. So we punch above our weight in terms of uh, a box office flow. So we're really excited. And the other point for us is this has been like a five-year arc because Olga and I had a big, a critical decision to make with our shareholders because we put in place such an aggressive development program that calls for Olga and I to double the size of our footprint within like 36 months from today. And do we stop that because of COVID? And, you know, Olga and I decided, hey, we believe that the market will come back, the recovery is evident, and we do believe that the authorities globally will handle the epidemic. So let's keep going. So we're right in the pace of a massive construction and development on top of what we're operating, right? And that's also caused other challenges, you know, from a leadership perspective. How do you build locations safely with your team? How do you interact with your suppliers and contractors? So this has been a real challenging time, but we like these type of challenges where you see opportunity and we do see opportunity. In terms of really selling this as an experience, you know, come back and experience a movie, uh, what role have things like IMAX or your Cairo Black premium offerings played? Are you like aggressively marketing those as a way to get people to come back to the theaters for the first time in a few months? Or have you found people maybe want to stick to the more basic movie going plan? For example, for Tanat, we had like with this 50% maximum hall occupancy, we had like this 100% sales uh, during all day long for our premium formats. Well, as Paul mentioned, it's like blacks because people like this like recliner concept, luxes and IMAXs. And it was really uh, something that shows that it's like not more about the, the, the money, but the understanding of uh, how you really want to spend your first after COVID movie experience. And we didn't do any kind of like discounts, huge discounts, because the truth is that the ticket price in Russia is not growing for a few years already. So there was uh, there was an uh, understanding. We don't need any kind of like uh, huge discounts. But uh, we also see that, for example, uh, our regular shows, 
where there was a lot of art movies, uh, were also doing good. I mean, in the period of lack of content and premieres, because like in the past we had seven movies a week, seven new movies a week. Art content did really, really good and some kind of events with all the restrictions that we have, people were really ready to go to the movies and they were waiting for that. And the price was not the main issue for them. Right. You know, it's interesting to, again, to further bolster kind of what Olga's, to, to comment on Olga's comments, is that, you know, we've pioneered at Carol what we call Carol Art, which is where we've been very active on trying to bring first-time filmmakers, festival product, you know, even stuff like, not just like the, well, the classic art film, but even the subcategories or genres. We have like a Jewish film festival, the Armenian film festival, the, the like different products or different movies. And that's gone, Olga, like in the last three years, it's gone from like one or 2% of our business to like this year, Olga should be like nine, nine or 10%, correct? Uh, counting all categories. That's extraordinary in our, in our industry. When you look at kind of the mainline cinema operating companies, that much of, of their box office is from that category of product. And we're growing that, you know, we're, we're also, Olga and I are looking, we're looking very actively at the kind of some stuff we're doing with gaming um, because we, uh, we, we share kind of that younger audience with kind of the gaming, which is, you know, visual orientated and also participatory type of experience. So we still see upside. And when we looked at the sector, everyone has a classic thing. It's just the blockbusters and maybe that occasional art picture that breaks out becomes like a mini buster. We feel like there, there's so much visual content that people can come to our locations and, and enjoy kind of in a communal fashion, not just relative to traditional kind of 10 studio pictures, right? The other thing to put on this, on the traditional side, you know, Russia now is probably top 10 globally for box office, but I kind of feel like post-COVID, and Olga and I have been planning on this, I, I think if not the one of the three probably most important markets in Europe, and I believe that Russia still is the only growth market globally that still has some horsepower. When you look at China decreasing screens, in Latin America kind of being screened out. So we still see a lot of upside for our geographic location as well. It's my understanding that in Russia, compared to the United States, a smaller percentage of the screens of the movie theaters are owned by some of the large companies that you have more maybe independent cinemas or or smaller chains. It's not so consolidated into just a handful of, of large groups. I mean, Olga, have you seen anything to indicate that maybe there might be consolidation in the Russian market as a result of COVID and the shutdown? Or is that just uh, projecting the way things uh, look like they're going in America over onto y'all? You know, for the, for the numbers, uh, of course, like as Paul mentioned, we are like on the screen. The thing is that we have 140 million people in Russia. It's a really huge country. And uh, most of cinemas are, of course, in like in the big cities. A few years ago, uh, our government had started a program to bring the movie-going experience to a small cities under 100,000 citizens. And they built quite many of them, but there was a requirement that they, uh, they have to show uh, 50% of Russian content and currently, well, also as Paul mentioned, it's something like 20% of the gross box office. It's still growing, it's doing good, but for the economic um, format, it's not uh, it's not showing that great results. 
that's why, of course, the main idea right now is uh, the consolidation that you have mentioned because big chains, and there are like five of them right now in the Russian market, they have just 35-37% of the gross box office. So other 60% are the lonely stand buildings or small chains. The thing here is that there are cities where there are a lot of cinemas, but the truth is that movie-going experience there is very poor. They are quite old. They were built and they were not uh, supported from the developer for a long time. They were not reconstructed. Many of them were placed. The mall owner itself was trying to be a businessman in a, in a uh, cinema sector. That's why there is so much diversity in cinemas. And of course, we will be glad to look at the opportunities that market can, can show us after the COVID. We know right now that maybe a third part, not the third part, sorry, something like 15, uh, maybe 20% of the cinemas won't open or they will close after this year. Because, yeah, because the thing is that not that many companies and uh, cinemas can survive the crisis that we have right now. So you should really be in a good malls with a good partners. And uh, you should have, of course, kind of like different government support or like bank support to keep on developing your business. Yeah, we look at the opportunities. We have already got some proposals from the market. So we look at them carefully because it's sometimes it's a cherry picking uh, format. We want to be like, you know, we looked at like companies like the Walt Disney Company. We looked at Four Seasons. We looked at companies that have strong brand values. And so our idea is not to be the biggest by size and volume, but be by, but be the most, you know, what's sought after asset by the level of experience and level of finish and all the things that we do to make sure our buildings are like pristine and offer the best experience. So, and that's shown out by the average ticket price that we generate, the revenue per patron, like we outperform all those metrics in the market substantially. To close out the conversation and thanks again for joining us for such a great chat. I wanted to check in on how you guys are being affected by the current schedule changes from the Hollywood studios. As we know, uh, you guys have been open much earlier than U.S. counterparts. Tenet finally comes out. It's available for everyone. There are some markets where it's doing very well. And then lo and behold, uh, it's deemed disappointing under this very new context in the U.S. And a ripple effect happens where decisions that echo in the American market are also having grave consequences overseas. How are you guys affected by this uh, release date shuffle? And what are your programming plans to make sure you have some sort of fresh content in for most of October and November? Yeah, uh, Paul, if you don't mind, I will yes. give some local comments. Well, there are good things. Well, as we discussed, like we have a special programming, which is like care art uh, format and big movies moved later. And uh, of course, they cannot be replaced. Uh, but what helps us right now is this art format content, which is doing really good. And like tomorrow, we are opening the Moscow Film Festival, which is a class festival. And it really helps. Uh, but of course, well, for example, October, moving some uh, dates uh, of the releases to a later period, 
is hurting us uh, quite strongly. We were actually asking the Russian producers and Russian companies to show local movies as much as possible right now because, well, they know uh, how what the situation in the Russian market is and it is really important. And we keep on having these discussions uh, right now that local production should support the exhibitors during this period because, well, we understand the terms and we understand the reasons why big studios have to move some of the movies. But what is good for us that we don't have that kind of problem with online because online is not that strong in Russia and we don't have few channels here in Russia. So movies will be released uh, offline and we are waiting for that with impatience. Yeah. And again, just to, you know, you can see Olga and I work as a team on this. So I try to kind of keep a global perspective. And Olga looks obviously after very aggressively our local kind of concerns. But I would say that, you know, going, remember a few months ago, which we never, you know, Olga and I have never bought into that, oh, this is the end of cinema. Disney's going to go directly to the home. Warner's has gone to the home. Universal's gone home. And, you know, understanding the market. And if you guys follow on LinkedIn, uh, you know, I, I've done some writing on it and gotten huge responses and huge comments because we know we've actually invested in motion pictures and we're also on the other side as a, as a leading exhibitor and kind of a market maker. I've always understood that to get return cap on these big motion pictures, you need a thriving theatrical sector. There is no business model that returns capital on kind of large scale movies. And by the way, movies are enormously expensive and it's going up every year without a So the return capital on those on the on the investment side even the studios have financial partners. So we always felt that there would be a, a form even with or a shakeout that there'd still be a viable theatrical platform, whether that the window is lesser than it is now in other markets. And in Russia, remember, a third of the world's box office is made up in markets only make up 3% of the VOD business, right? So like when we talk about China, Russia, and those markets like ours that are very important to global box office, they're very only a fractionary participant returning capital just for direct-to-video enterprises or, or uh, films. So we felt they would come around. I think that Di- I'm pleased from a global perspective that Disney is now kind of booked dates out through 2028 for all their product. We see so much product next year. We know that the fourth quarter and through early spring will be a challenge with COVID, but we're confident there'll be, you know, whether it be treatments or vaccines and these things. So we see that starting from May next year on to 2022 to being a maybe a very strong era for us and I mean for our sector. So we're excited, but we know it's going to be a stretch to kind of get there. And that's why we've been trying to be creative with local producers, different types of content, gaming and so on and so forth to kind of get us to the, this kind of bridge gap. And But we do think cinema is here to stay. And I think if anything, COVID, you know, from a, if you really look at it from a direct dollar to dollar perspective, I think the COVID period has shown how important cinema is and how badly it's needed for motion picture producers.